Welcome to the Trend Detection Podcast, powered by Sensei, an industry leader in using AI to drive scalable and sustainable asset performance and reliability. For this three-part series, I'm joined by Gail Peterson, founder of Fortig, a company that helps organizations get the maximum value from their investment in assets by embracing Industry 4.0. In the final episode of our series, we look at the key innovators in asset management, the types of data that is critical to collect when monitoring assets at scale, and how organizations can go about digitizing their asset management strategy. I hope you enjoy it. So speaking the same language, we have to speak with the same breakdown. So we, we know how, to, how these plants actually compare and where the upgrades need to happen, where we need to predict more improvement on one plant than we do on another. Um, these are all very deep issues that we need to think about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to sort of shift the conversation slightly. I wanted to look at examples of innovation within asset management and whether you've got some specific <laughs> examples. Um, because we talked about some of the problems, I, want, I really want to focus on some of the, the real, you know, it, who are the innovators out there and what are they doing? I'm really intrigued to know. Uh, well, I know this podcast is being sponsored by Sensei, but I really think that Sensei is one of the innovators. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> cutting, cutting edge thinking, leading edge thinking. And uh, it's, it's refreshing, it's exciting to see um, who are the, I, wrote, I once wrote a paper and the title of the paper was Reliability and Maintenance and where all the eyes were, I put a dash. And then the subtitle of the paper was What's Missing? Oh, it's the eye for innovation. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, innovation is sometimes paralleled with risk-taking. So the risk that my organization is willing to take will be different from yours. We have to know what, those, what that risk tolerance is. Uh, we also have to know the risk of not innovating. Uh, where that, what, what the cost of that is, because the cost of making, not making a decision is really making a decision as well. Um, where is innovation coming? Well, energy. Uh, we're a lot of talk of uh, electronic vehicles, a lot of talk of energy supply, green, green. Green steel, green cement. It was only recently that I learned that the big deal in steel and cement in terms of emissions is really the, the chemical process where, where in, the, in the making of these products that where the, they're released into the atmosphere. And um, we've got to make sure that we start striving towards net zero in terms of climate change. A lot of the climate crisis is going to induce a lot of focus on responsibility, sustainability, uh, greenhouse gases, how we run our companies, how clean we are, how green we are, what sort of social citizens we are, citizens of the planet. 
I guess a great deal of that burden is placed on asset-intensive industries. I mean, a lot of those um, industries you mentioned previously um, carry a lot of that burden, I guess. <laughs> um, I actually recently interviewed um, uh, a person in the metals and mining space, and he sort of said there's a contradiction there between we need to mine stuff, like, for example, for our phones, for our laptops and stuff, but people just, you know, maybe naturally think they're the the big evils against sustainability but then there's a balance there like you said because the needs of the world so it's it's not as cut and dry maybe even as i thought before speaking to him it's a difficult journey to go on i completely agree with you there are a lot of very difficult complex issues in front of us right now and uh, you mentioned one that's really critical mining we need those minerals but to get those minerals is uh, a, a difficult process. Yeah. And actually, I'll just look at my next question. It sort of, sort of goes towards sort of data again, but it reminded me because in that conversation also, there was a case of having um, in metals and mining, particularly where, oh, we have so much data, but we just don't know sort of, what to do with it or you know what's it you know how can we get the most out of this data are there examples i know we talked about um sort of different stages of that digitization journey but is that is that a key consideration as well but, but actually having too much data is an issue and they don't know what to do they don't quite know what to do with it i think that's yeah i i totally i completely agree with you uh we need data historians to filter the data we need uh artificial intelligence algorithms to make sense of it, and then machine learning to actually evolve it. Um, thing that worries me, <laughs> we need measurement. We need to know if that sensor that's giving me data, did it die? Is that what would happen? Or did, is it, does it need calibrating? Or is it really telling me something worthwhile where I've got a tolerance of set points and it's, it's not behaving properly? So what's the true story? Uh, we need to have those maintainers investigate and harvest that information. We need, and we need data historians. We need to get that information from wherever. You're right, the volume is too much. So we've got to filter it down. Edge computing, all of those tools. Again, we're talking about innovation. We're talking about new technology. We're talking about cloud, doing the analysis in the cloud um, and partnering. You know, there's billions of dollars being spent on, on the industrial internet of things, moving towards that industry 4.0, billions. So why would I, in my company, Try to duplicate that effort. Doesn't yep. make sense. I'm not going to be able to stay on the front. On the front, I'm not going to be able to compete. So I'm going to partner intelligently and powerfully with a company that I trust that can take me into the future. Yeah. So it's actually, for want of a better term, it's, it's about building sort of an enterprise ecosystem. I guess. Yes. Yes. And, and, so, and software platform is different. 
Yeah, it's yeah. a different level. You can't sort of go in isolated anymore. It feels like at that level, at the enterprise level, you have to go in, say, you know, either with partners or at least you can say, oh, no, we can integrate easily with, part, you know, with this system, this system, this system, et cetera. That's a, that's a key component of it, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't agree more. Yes. And, and what are the sort of data sources that are key, sort of getting real like, insights? And actually, one thing I've, I didn't mention then, which I wanted to mention, it's about saying the volume of data, but it's about context, I guess, is the key. Um, and it's what we, we find is key. It's great having got lots of data, you know, temperature, vibration, but if you don't have the context around it, it's, <laughs> you know, that, that's where the real um, sort of gold is, I guess. I'm going to step back and say that when equipment is designed and built, so there's, you know, I've got, I've got an idea. I'm going to design it. I'm going to build it and I'm going to commission it. So as, as, as my feasibility, my, my specifications, my design, my build, those are all three different states of an asset and I commission it. So as the engineering firm responsible for that aspect of the life cycle of the asset, I walk away. I'm going on to the next hot project. Now, as the owner of that asset, I've got the asset. What about the information about the asset? What about, what about the, you know, <laughs> You, you guys built it, you know everything about that asset. You know what the equipment is. You know who you bought it from. You know the OEM numbers. You know the spare parts attached to it. You know, you know how it was put together. You know how it was shipped. You know everything. You, you know the vendors. If I have to, as the owner, have to regather that information, I will never gather it to the level of integrity that that data has, if I, as the owner, require that information to be commissioned at the same time the asset is commissioned and in a format that I can load it into my enterprise asset management system or computerized maintenance management system. Or I might, I might ask for a, for a bundle that it be already loaded into one of those systems. If I have to regather it, it's going to cost me millions and I will never, ever, ever, ever attain that level of integrity. So that's one piece of asset, of asset information that is absolutely essential. Uh, and it does provide context. Uh, another thing that provides context is what's critical. You know, we need to look at the principles of reliability, standard and maintenance, ask those questions. How, do, how does this equipment fail? What are the failure modes? What's the risk of downtime failure? The costs are not just the cost of repairing that piece of equipment. It's the production cost. <laughs> it's the cost to my customer because I'm not gonna be able to deliver on time. So it's understanding that big picture and that context, uh, knowing what data, well, that relates a lot to the 
criticality of the equipment or what happened and what risk, what business risk it's imposing on me. If I'm uh, transferring chemicals from a train load to a tank, so the trains just come in filled with chemicals, I've got a hose, a pump, and I'm pumping it into a tank and that pump breaks and I've got chemicals all over, that's pretty serious. That's pretty serious. So I have to know what sort of failures are going to threaten my, what level of severity they have and who needs to be involved to, to be, to help me out with solving this problem. Your vendor is a very good source of information. They have troubleshooters. They are, these guys are amazing. These men and women are fantastic at being able to help you solve problems. Um, I don't want to, this kind of accident to threaten my license to operate. So it's really that big picture understanding of what happens and uh, what data I need and what I need to do about it when I do have problems. It's, it's interesting. How I need to respond. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's interesting what you said about downtime because we, we did quite a big report last year about the sort of the cost of unplanned downtime across multiple industries. Um, but one of the things that came out of it for me and someone relatively new at that time to, to the industry is actually it's actually how it was um lose my train for no um it was how oh you know when you used to lose your train of thought sometimes um well might have to come back to that but it was oh might have to edit this I think bit you're like talking, you might be talking you might be referring to the impact of that yeah downtime. it was yeah it was although that was it so it was it was actually so it's not just the direct impact of of downtime and it, it going down and that's the cost of stock production but the it's the 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 impacts that you don't initially measure sort of on your reputation or whether you've, yeah. you've broken sort of agreement contractual agreements with customers or you know and just negative pr i guess in general so it's just interesting because often downtime i think is seen as sort of a straight you know production stops and then you're losing x amount an hour but there's a other hidden costs, which probably have, have a longer-term impact on the business. You mentioned something very interesting. And so we have the asset portfolio at the hub. And that's actually supported, that asset portfolio is actually supported by four other assets. One is our people. So we've talked about their skills. Another is finance. We want them to understand what's happening with our assets and what our financial needs are, both CapEx and OpEx. The other is technology and data. So we've talked a lot about that. The PC you mentioned was intangibles, the impact on our reputation, on our brand. And that's huge. So thank you for, for raising that. That's great. Thank you. It's all right. It is suddenly I've got there in the end. It was sort of in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I just couldn't, couldn't find the words for some reason, which is strange for someone hosting the podcast. But there we go. Um, <laughs> um, so I just wanted to look at ahead, I guess, to the future. Um, and we talked about it briefly as well about um, companies being at different stages of digitization. Um, but how so? How do companies that aren't 
in an early stage, let's say, how do they start to digitize their asset management strategy? Um, and I guess importantly, what's the impact of them not doing it? So the how is uh, really a matter of awareness first. You can't, you can't do anything without awareness. Oh, I need to do something? I do? <laughs> make me aware of the challenges. Make me aware of the benefits, as you've, as you've mentioned as well. What do I need to do to get there? How long is this journey? What are the components? Um, the dangers of not being aware. Again, getting on this train, you know, this train is in motion. And um, it's moving slowly at the moment, but it is moving. It's gathering speed, being to accelerate. And if I'm not aware, if I'm comfortable in my traditional way of operating, and I wake up late to the game, or I don't wake up at all, if I wake up late, I may not be able to catch up. I may not be able to afford to catch up. The gap may be too large. So there's a huge risk. I think, and uh, ignoring what's happening today and not, or maybe not even being aware of what's happening today and the impact on my future as an organization. And do you, do you also think it'll be sort of a generational thing as well? So not say as the old, older, say older generation retires and a younger, more you know, tech advanced generation comes in that it'll just naturally be more like, well, what we're we doing here, you know, why aren't we connecting assets? Why aren't we connecting all our data and, and getting some real insights here and sharing it in this system and this system and collaborating, you know, using this system? Is it is it something as simple as that, or is that too simplified a, a, a response? I think that generation gap you refer to is uh, very interesting. Again, I don't, you know, I'm an older. Um, employee, I don't want to change. I'm fearful of change. I'm not that comfortable with technology. So you have to show me what's in it for me. And then I would be very interested in getting in being engaged. Our new, our new, um, fresh, young, we need youth. We need youth. They are digitally They've grown up in the digital world with gaming and um, collaboration and all that. That, that. It's going to be expected. They're going to be, they're going to be looking for those companies that will give them those kinds of opportunities because they're, they're not going to be happy being stuck in the traditional culture. So that gap is really, really interesting and it's um, non-trivial and it speaks to the different way that organizations will op operate. You know, you talked about equipment as a service. Young people are going to get that immediately. That's my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, so it won't be a source of education. It'll be just sort of like, well, we should be doing this. 
you know, what or what actually, why aren't we doing this? And I guess when we've talked about before stakeholders and the drive within the organization for change, maybe there's a new generation that's going to do that within these organizations. Yes, so they'll be demanding something different, that's for sure. They'll be looking for something different, looking for something that uh, is digitally enabled, for sure. Actually, it's something I wanted to write, um, mention earlier, because um, it, it's interesting as well when we're talking about getting buy-in from different stakeholders. And I think a lot of us work for companies, large companies maybe, where you're in, you've, you've been from a high level maybe with little involvement from other stakeholders it says you've got to use this system <laughs> we've purchased this system for millions of dollars pounds or whatever and you must use this system and i guess that um and maybe a newer generation will be less even even less open to that they'll be sort of challenging that um even more or i mean actually what's your opinion rather my opinion <laughs> what's your be good to hear your view on that well, again no. again you're touching on a very interesting aspect of uh, the life cycle of the asset i think one of my uh experiences with that is the maintainers and operators were not involved in the design of the facilities that they had to manage once the, those assets, those facilities were commissioned. So <laughs> you would get, this isn't funny. <laughs> you, would get, you would get situations where maintainers could not get at the equipment because the design, there was a pipe in the way. Uh, those not designed for maintainability. And the same thing speaks to all the changes that are, that are happening is that we need that big picture. We need that total cost of ownership view. We need, we need to collaborate across the life cycle of the asset, which as you say, with all the stakeholders of the asset and understand where we're going, what we want to, what we want to achieve, what those business outcomes are going to be that we, as a C-suite are set on um, fulfilling. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to, while we're talking about a future generation looking ahead, um, uh, what, what I was going to ask is what will the asset intensive world look like in five to 10 years in your view, um, looking into the crystal ball, um, what sort of changes will be made? What, what will be the challenges? What will be the new focuses? Etc. Five to ten years is a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and what I will, what I can say with certainty, it'll be very different. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, the other, the other piece that I want to emphasize is at the end of the day, the lights out factory, I don't think will be a reality. We always will need people. They will be doing different things differently. They'll be in different roles, but we always need people. And that's a good thing. We wanna make their lives easier. So with predicting failure, that's cool. It makes my life easier. I don't wanna deal with a breakdown. I wanna make sure that piece of equipment does not break down. 
And so with products such as Samatide are producing, that's all goodness. That changes the way, that changes my future. It makes my life easier. So you could, it'd be the embracing, I guess from a sense of perspective, hopefully that's the case, but <laughs> um, more embracing of these types of tools, if they're not so already, and obviously we're seeing that already, but it'll be even more um, obvious that, that, you know, we become more, even more of a necessity. I guess it won't be like an optional thing. It'll be, no, we actually, we do need this technology in order to keep our competitive advantage or, um, it, it, yeah, on that side of things. Absolutely. And again, building that awareness is key to being able to even think about it or solve that problem or move towards that vision. Actually, on that note, um, so which... I don't need to be biased towards Sensei here, but which um, technologies will be at the forefront of that, the forefront sorry, of that innovation? So, which technology is going to be absolutely crucial to driving asset management forward in the, in the next few years? I think there's going to be a sh there, this shift is already happening uh, mm. to modularization of these massive suites of. ERP or EAM or CMS systems, they're, they're going to be modularized, and I'm going to I'm going to pick and choose which ones suit me, and they're all going to fit together like Lego or like a puzzle. Um, that's I think one shift that's going to going to happen for sure. It's already starting. There are already some leaders in the industry that are doing that. Um, <sighs> That's a, it's a loaded question. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> and and, yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure there are definitive, clear answers yet. It's it, we're you know it's an evolving, um, evolving turf. That's for sure. I guess what you'd also say just just on that is I guess in five years time, I mean who knows what technology is going to be available then. Maybe like augmented reality is often talked about the next sort of frontier. So is that going to be, you know, the, the, at the centre? But again, it's about what we talked about before is about joined up systems and integrated systems as well. So none of these, that's probably more the key is that systems shouldn't be working in isolation of each other, whether it's across a plant or multiple plants, it should be a completely joined up enterprise. Right. And you mentioned augmented reality. I saw, I was witness to a demonstration by Japan Airlines some years ago where jet engine and take it apart, take it apart virtually. The sensors have information on them, so they become devices. So I don't have to rely on my people to, or I don't to actually provide that information. It's right here at my fingertips. I know how to disassemble it. I know how to reassemble it. So it's going to make that complex jet engine much easier for me to reassemble properly, to repair it properly, to disassemble it properly. Uh, these are all amazing tools. Again, make my life easier. Make my life easier. And they're yeah. becoming affordable. Yeah, that's at the heart of it, isn't it? Make my life easier. You said that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, if you ultimately any any system's got to do that in order to sort of, you know become invested in it and want to use it. You never you're not going to use a system that's cumbersome and you, it doesn't have the value. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's a, it really is as simple as that. Um, I just wanted to finish, and I know you, you talked uh, dived into it a little bit earlier on about sustainability. So I just wanted to finish on that um, and talk about how that relates to an asset management strategy both now and in the future again asking to look ahead a bit but we could focus on what on the now and what companies are doing at the minute to sort of integrate that into their strategy i think it's a huge driver a huge driver and it is going to be a greater driver it's a huge driver especially for asset intensive organizations industries um, it's going to be top of mind. The C-suite is going to have to be accountable to their board of directors and to their community and to the globe. Um, it's a huge driver. Thank you for mentioning that. No, no problem. It's a, big, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, and I guess sustainability, if we're talking what's the biggest stakeholder of all i guess some some might say but again it's 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 something driven from the c-suite so i guess how do they as a c-suite let's say initiative how do they drive the importance of that to you know to the stakeholders below in the organization you look at if you look at uh triple bottom line so i have environment social and finance, that's a great place to start. So I've got responsibility to my community. I've got responsibility to the environment. I've got responsibility to my shareholders in terms of profitability and to my employees, make sure that they have, that they are safe and that they have well-paying jobs to support their families. <laughs> that's it. I mean, that's it. <laughs> nice, um, nice summary. <laughs> no, fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's been really great to speak to you, Gail, today. Um, really, really interesting. I, I think it would be a good way to finish. How do, how do people find out more about you and what you do? And I guess where to find more information about, about you? It'd be good. Thank you. Um, I'm the creator of Fortig, which is an asset performance accelerator. And it is designed to unlock the value of, of existing assets. It's um, the end-to-end -end business processes, top-to-bottom business process and connected with integrity, gives you visibility traceability back to the strategic uh, objectives and line of sight. So it's a, it's a digital twin of the organization. Uh, so if we twin that, if we twin that or digital twin with the digital twin of the production process, now we've really got power. Now we've really got insight. Now we can really inform our business leaders who have to respond to external threats who have to respond to this changing environment. They can do so with information and with certainty. 
And uh, I'm out my management consulting practice, Data Masters Software House. We are a boutique uh, consulting arm and specialized in assisting asset intensive organizations be the best they can be. Fantastic. Well, it's been, again, really great to speak to you, Gail. Thanks for coming on the podcast. And yeah, thank you very much. It's been, it's been my pleasure, Niall. You've been a great host. Thank you. Thank you. So that was the final part of our series, Diving Into the World of Asset Management. I hope you enjoyed it. Gail is 100% correct that without awareness of how key business challenges can be solved by a digitized asset management strategy, then little progress can be made. Please subscribe via your favorite podcast provider if you'd like to be notified about future episodes and let us know your feedback by leaving us a review. You can find out more about how Sensei can reduce unplanned downtime and contribute towards improved sustainability within your manufacturing plants by visiting Sensei.io. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you.